This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey, everyone. This is an interesting topic. This is something I get from investors all the time. It's, hey, Michael, I have, you know, I've been able to save the amount of cash or I got a commission check or I sold some stock or whatever it is. I, they seem to be vibrating at a different level and they want to deploy their cash. And yes. I wanted to talk to Jonathan about that because, again, if you go back to his first interview over a year ago, um, you know, he made some interesting calls uh, about the top of the market and, and it's okay to sell and it's okay to sit on cash. So I wanted to talk to him about cash. I'm sure he hears from investors all the time. I have X amount of dollars. I want to deploy it. I want to deploy it now. So let's talk about it, Jonathan. How are you? I'm, I'm great. Thank you for asking. And um, this is a topic that is uh, close to my heart uh, for a number of reasons. Um, but people also you know, have a running debate in, inside a multifamily investment community, my Facebook group, about should you be investing you know, or not? Or should you have dry powder? There, there is a certain idea about investing, which I, I don't think is wrong necessarily, but that you should really want to have your money working for you, right? And the more mm -hmm. money you have working for you, the more wealth you're going to build. And especially if you're in this for the long haul, uh, you can... That's that's the way to go. Just don't have, other than your emergency, you know, mm -hmm. cash supply. Don't have cash sitting around not working for you. On the other hand, there's also a, a different school of thought, which is that the real massive gains are made when you buy at the right time in the market, mm -hmm. and you can never make really outsized returns without having some aspect of timing. Now this often leads to the debate of, oh, you can't time the market. Mm -hmm. And this is true. You cannot time the market absolutely. However, everybody listening to this call can tell you whether it's a buyer's market or a seller's market. True. Right? And when and that should be a guide to you as to whether it's a good time to buy or not. Or uh, what, well, let's put it this way. This should tell you, it should be a guide as to whether uh, this is a time when you can make outsized returns or not, mm -hmm. right? And typically, whether you're looking at the stock market or looking at a real estate market, periods of very large returns are always followed by periods of very low returns. And the reason is, it's not because like there's something magical about the way that markets work that they always take back what they, mm -hmm. what they give. It's not that, it's that people who invest at, after a period of high returns or extended period of high returns are buying in at the top of the market. So they're the ones who are going to take the hit and that hit is included in their long-term returns. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, it's, it, it's the case very often. We'll say you invest in January uh, of year one mm -hmm. and then there's a crash and then somebody else invests in December of year one your returns are going to look a whole lot different depending on when you put your money in. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why, you know, periods of high returns are, are 
always followed by periods of low returns and vice versa, right? So you have a period of low returns, it'll be followed by high returns because people who put their money in during the period of low returns will get the high returns when they come. They'll yeah. get the run up, right? So the, I think the way to balance these two things is yes, keep on investing if you can find good opportunities, but you need to maintain a, a, uh, a separate account of cash that's your opportunity fund. Yeah. Right. You need to have, because cash and, and this is hard. Some people just really resist this idea because like, Oh, the cash has to be working for me. The cash has yeah. to be working. They vibrate. They vibrate right. when you talk to them. It's crazy. But you, but, the, but the, what they have to understand is they will do better that way. They will be do better by having some cash set aside for those great opportunities than they will by, you know, having, you could do better by having some cash not working for you mm -hmm. if you then are able to take that cash and put it into something that's going to work great for you. Right. Yeah. So you will make up for those law, especially in a period of now where like now where you're getting very low returns, mm -hmm. right. You can make it up very, very fast. The problem I think that people also don't, uh, they don't appreciate is that the cash. I don't look at cash as, or like, I, I, I don't look at cash as like dead weight. Mm -hmm. I look at cash as an option on opportunity. I love right? that. And that's what it is. It is, it is an option, right? And especially, you know, people are like worried about inflation, what, whatever. I mean, we, we haven't had it yet. You know, they've been predicting inflation for the last 10 years. Yeah, decade yeah, at least. Yeah. Asset inflation happened, but you weren't like, your yeah. cash in the bank was not losing purchasing power, right? Mm -hmm. other than for maybe purchasing power for real estate or whatever, but it's not like, it's not like, you know, when you get paid a couple thousand bucks and you set aside 500, you can put that into real estate. You know, you got to save it for a while, right. Before you yep. have enough to put in um, the, you know, so we've been in a low inflation environment. I think, you know, this, this, this we, people keep on talking. We're going to continue to be in a low inflation environment. As long as interest rates are low, those things are related to one another. Right. Mm -hmm. So the, what, what little erosion of your savings you may be having is going to be more than made up for by the bargains that you can get. I mean, let's just say there's a 3% inflation rate, mm -hmm. right. And you, you have cash for, you know, sitting in an account for three years waiting for a crash. There's a 20% reduction in the in the market price of things mm -hmm. well, what does that mean that means you lost six percent and you gained 20 so you're net 14 up yeah. right so or maybe the, or maybe you lost nine percent of its three percent inflation for three years right? right still you're you're better off than you would have been if you had put the money into something right so and lost that 20 percent too like mm -hmm. you have to look at it both ways if you put for something sure. in well you missed you sure you didn't have that erosion of three percent but now you're down 20 yep right so, sure. um, so the, that you have to look at it that way. So have that bucket of cash that is your opportunity fund for, for when the real opportunity is there. And if you look around at like what the greatest investors are doing, they're doing exactly that. Mm -hmm. Warren Buffett is sitting on a hundred billion dollars of cash, yep. right? Sam Zell is sitting on a billion dollars of cash, right? He's yeah. not as rich as Warren Buffett is, but he's still got a billion. <laughs> Neither am cash, I. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> They're sitting, and why are they sitting on, you know, Sam Zell spent the last several years liquidating property. Yeah, he did. Right. Because he knew what was coming. When I was, when I was still a lawyer, 
one of the last big cases I worked on was involved a hotel owner here in New York City. And that owner, the, the representative of that owner, and this was at the this was at the height of the bubble when everybody was going nuts. Mm. I remember a representative of the owner told me, my, my boss is sitting on half a billion dollars of cash. He's been selling because he knows what's coming. Mm. And gosh, I mean, I, I obviously lost touch with them after the crash because they, this case was no longer going on. But I'm sure that that guy with the 500, bill, 500 million in cash went on a buying spree oh, sure yeah you know, in 2009 2010 2011 yeah. he's worth a billy today for sure <laughs> at least yeah at least. so so uh you know and and you can't do that if all your money is tied up uh you know in other stuff and and you and you really can't do it if your money is tied up in deals that you did at the top of the market because then you're then you're yeah. looking at so you really want to you really want to even if you feel like your money has to be working for you yeah put some of it to work if you can find deals that work, but you got to have that, that fund. Yeah. When I think about it, cause again, I vibrated at a different level, right? A lot of my people are doing residential, which is it's, it's a different kind of conversation only because the debt structure is fixed, mm. right? Because if you're in a residential property today, right. And everything you said is absolutely correct. I think about it all the time, but if you can get an interest rate at 3%, which an investor called me yesterday, he's getting a 3% investment loan, 25% down, right. decent credit score, all that stuff. So let's just play this out. Let's just use some rough numbers. Let's say he's buying a 200K property, just so the math is easy. He gets a 3% loan. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, because in, in my market, what we, what's going to hurt residential is interest rate rise. Let's say interest rates mm -hmm. go from three to five or three to 6%, enough where it's meaningful. That's going to cause real estate prices to come down. However, if you're a long-term buy and hold one rental at a time person and your, your vision's 10 years or greater, yeah. Do the math because it's possible. And I've done the math several different ways, right? It goes from 200 to 180, but the interest rate goes from three to six or heaven forbid, three to six and a half. You're actually better at a cash flow perspective buying now, which is just crazy how the math works when you have mm. record low interest rates. Yeah. And, and, and for when you can lock it in for 30 years too. Yeah, that's the right. key. That's like, the key. That's yeah. absolutely when you can lock it in for 30 years and you don't have to worry about refi in five or 10. That's the key as you for sure. Commercial. Then, I mean, look, like 30 years from now, if you're going to hold it for 30 years or 20 years, yeah. interest rates could go to 10%, right? And it's not going to matter to you because if, if you're going to refinance, you're refinancing just a, a tiny bit but mm -hmm. if you've paid it off you don't have to refinance anything mm -hmm. so what does it matter you had over the 20 years so much you know appreciation that yeah prices may fall from like two years before you're thinking of selling but compared to where it was when you bought it mm -hmm. right and you've had your mortgage paid off by your tenants and you know like it really doesn't matter i think that's a great a great attribute of mm -hmm of single family property. I mean, you know, it can work that way in multifamily too, if you can do long-term holds. That's think, the key. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and absolutely interest rates are going to affect multifamily pricing too, mm -hmm. that you layer in additional risk with multifamily where you can only get five, seven, 10, maybe 12 year debt in most cases. Mm -hmm. Right. So you, and the longer you can get, obviously the better it is, but 
if you're talking about syndications and you're dealing with investor money, yeah. you can't hold forever, right? Exactly. I, I agree. Holding forever is the ideal. You want to hold forever. And I think like for me as a syndicator, you know, my ultimate goal is to be generating enough income that I can just start going and buying properties on my own. Right. Uh, or with maybe a couple of partners who have the same vision yeah. of hold forever rather than doing syndications. I mean, I still would do syndications. It's great. I love the business. And it's it's great to give people opportunity to get into these investments at a low, yep. uh, at a low buy-in. But, you know, but in term, but I think really where every real estate investor wants to go or wants to get is in the forever hold, right? Because that's where yeah. you really build the wealth. Like you want to be handing these assets off to your children, you know, with, the stepped up basis and Absolutely. like, and like no debt on it. Right. I do have yeah. that mortgage paid off. Right. You want to, you want to give them like free and clear properties that, yeah. that are just cash flowing. Right. And that's my I, plan is to hope to, I hope to give Teresa yeah. at least 50 doors free and clear, you know, it'll yeah. probably be, I don't know, 55, 60,000 in gross rents. I mean, that's, but that's the plan, right? Look at our big ass yeah. portfolio, chunk it down, give her the creme de la creme and, and call it a day. I mean, when, and when I talk to like the big real estate families here in New York City, they'll basically tell me like anything that you ever, if any, anything ever comes across your desk that's for sale, that's decent in New York, we will buy it and we will never sell anything. Like they literally say, we will never sell anything nice. because, because that is, that's the business model that works. And, you know, for them, then they're getting into like, they are refinancing and taking cash out and stuff like that later sure. on and whatever, but the, but really like the, the object is never to sell. Yeah. And that's the key that again, I love these conversations with you because if, if you're talking syndications, I think you're right. I, my opinion, it's okay. Now's the time to have that. Uh, what'd you call it? Option on opportunity. Yeah. You're we're closer to the top than the bottom. I don't think there's any argument there, but if you're doing one rental at a time, residential housing, and you get a 3% 30 year mortgage, I think most people, again, 10 years is the magic mark for me. If you're going to, if your plan's 10 years or greater, do the math because yeah. I think buying today on a cash flow basis works because the rates are so incredibly low. But you have to, but cash flow is the key, right? Oh, you have sure. to buy on a cash flow basis. Oh, of course. If you're, buying on a, if you're buying on a speculative appreciation basis, not then, part of my calc. I yeah, know. then you could really wind up being hurt. And I remember, you know, you're in California, I'm in New York, we probably hear a lot of the same kind of BS from people, which essentially goes, you know, to, you know, New York real estate will never go down. All the time, yeah. Right. It, New York real estate has never gone. It's like, wait a minute. Well, oh, how old are you? Okay, you're 25. All right. Yeah. You, don't, you don't remember the 1980s, right? When yeah. real estate in New York did go down. Yeah. And now look at where we are now. I mean, it's going down now too. Yeah. And so if you're, what I saw at the time of the, the Great Recession, just before it, during the housing bubble, was literally people buying condos in New York City that they were cash flow negative on, yeah. paying not even, and not even close, like not even like, oh yeah, it cost me like a hundred bucks a month that I'm out of pocket. I'm talking like $2,000 a month, like at, the rents are only covering half of their mortgage costs, right? Because, oh, well, it's going to go up. And I'm going to make it back when I sell. Yeah. Right. And it's like, no, 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 no. That, that is, that <laughs> bad, is bad, bad. You lose your shirt. And, 
you so it has to be on a cash flow positive basis if, if it's cash flow positive you don't care about the price fluctuations it doesn't exactly. matter to you you don't care where interest rates that's are going. the beauty of 30-year fixed the, yeah. <laughs> exactly all that matters is that it's cash flowing and you can keep it rented right yep and and you can build in some cushions so that when you've got a capex you can pay for it and you don't have to go out of pocket right and like that's if you can do that, like you're golden and you can do that with multifamily too, right? You can also do this with multifamily. It's not just single family. It's just a little harder to do with multifamily because mm-hmm. you got to come up with, you know, millions to do a, a big deal and you've got to go other yeah. investors and they always want their money back. But if you can find smaller properties and do it yourself, yeah, right? Or with a couple of, with a couple of friends who have the same Mindset, long-term yeah. vision as you, mm-hmm. you can absolutely do it with multifamily too. It'll For work sure. Just as well. That's great. So again, what I would tell folks today, really it all comes down to learn your market. For me, it's learn your market, understand what your market return is, has to be cash flow positive, right? I, I call that investor who's losing two grand a month buying an alligator. It's actually in my book. I tell a story about an executive in my company who knew I was doing real estate in 07, 08. He pulled me in his office, drew up on a whiteboard how he was going to buy five Mississippi properties, cash flow negative 250 bucks each. And, uh, he was really proud of the fact that he could carry five negative cash flow properties because he made so much money. I'm like, are you kidding me? And of course, you know, four years later or three years later, he lost them all. But anyways, it's yeah, cash flow positive, no alligators. I love the cash as an option and an opportunity. So, um, any closing and I, thoughts? Yeah, I do want to make one more point on this sure. topic, which is that if you really do feel, if you just for whatever reason can't sit on the cash, right? Just, you can't, just can't do it. Like personality wise, just can't, it's just going to burn a hole in your brain. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not just your pocket. Right. Like, yeah. it, like you're going to you, think about it all the time. Yeah. If you're one of those people, then here's what you need to do right now. You need to be looking at investments purely in terms of managing the downside risk. Perfect. Right. You need to be, because anybody coming around and telling you, Hey, I'm going to generate a, 20 IRR, oh. you know, on, on this thing right now with value add or blah, blah, blah. I mean, they are just, either they don't understand what they're doing or they're massaging the numbers. It's you just, or they're doing a bunch of financial engineering and putting a lot of risk on the deal in order to generate those numbers, right? What you should really be looking at, don't be looking at like stars in your eyes, how much money you're going to make and then spending the money, you know, yeah. in, in your mind you should be thinking about preservation of capital and you want to be looking at deals that are very solid. And what I mean by that is that they are, go- think of the worst case scenario that could happen mm-hmm. and, and, and you're not going to lose your capital if that happens, right? That's what you should be looking at. So I'm talking about <clears throat> very solid B deals in, in more affluent markets with good school districts where you've got uh, you know, you're not going to be as subject to people running and buying their own homes right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're also, people are not losing their jobs left and right. Like those are the kinds of deals that you want to look at. Of course, everybody's looking at those deals. Everybody has the same, there's no, I have no magic on the Like everybody else has thought the same thing because that's really all there is to do. So those deals are hard to come by and they're, they're getting very overpriced. But if you can find deals that if you just have to invest, look at them from the downside perspective. Love it. If you get, if some syndicator is coming to you with a deal, you have to go and, you know, if they're not providing you with break-evens, you got to go calculate those break-evens yourself and figure out, you know, where, 
where, at what point am I losing money and how likely do I think it is that I can get that, that this could happen? Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, that, so be cautious, invest in, you know, investors always want to know about the returns. They come to me, how much money am I going to make? Yeah. And people turning me down saying, Oh, the, the returns aren't high enough. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> compared to gotta, what? Yeah. Well, a, yeah. A compared to what, but B also like, there's, that's not the only consideration. The other mm-hmm. consideration is, is this a safe place to put your money? And rule yes, number one, is. preservation yeah. of capital. Yep. Rule number one. And rule number two is C rule number one. Right? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, Jonathan, it's been a lot of fun. Again, I, I, I seen it twice in my career where people vibrate because they have cash. Once is right at the peak and I'm seeing it again. So folks, yeah. Listen to this again. If you, if you need to, to have permission to sit on cash, cause both Jonathan and I are sitting on cash and we're okay with that. Thank you. But thanks you, buddy. Yep. Absolutely.